Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Sound Stories, an inspirational podcast for creative professionals and storytellers who want to improve their lives at home and at work. I'm Stephanie Cicerelli, your host and co-founder of Voices.com. Today in studio, I have with me Keith Tomasek. Keith is a professor at Western University. He's also a podcaster, but he has a ton of experience in theater and also in writing for the artistic types. So Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephanie. I'm excited to be here. And thank you for visiting my class last week. And, and I was doing some of the vocal warm-ups before I came in today just to prepare for this. Oh, that's awesome. We're doing the lip trills yes, and all that right. little unique, humming. Unique New York was my favorite. Perfect. Unique New York. It's hard to do for me. Well, it is a tough one. It gets those resonators going. Yeah. But uh, oh my gosh, I'm just very excited to have you here today as uh, well, I know clearly that I know you, Keith, but our audience may not. So maybe just tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. So my background, it's kind of it's it's a mixture of everything. I studied theater um, uh, at the college level. After theater, I studied uh, English literature and film studies. And then I went on to get a master's degree in communications. And you mentioned writing at the beginning. The thing about writing, and I want to really impress this on people, um, I struggled. Like in grade nine, uh, I basically failed English. And I thought, you know, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible writer. Well, it turns out I was going through lots of family troubles and I had Crohn's disease. So luckily, I didn't let that stop me. Luckily, I realized, okay, just because um, I had a bad time at a certain point in my life with English, it doesn't mean I'm a bad writer. And while I was studying to do my master's degree, I came across a quote that I want to share with you. Uh, and the quote is this, it's from Thomas Mann. A writer is someone for whom writing is more difficult than it is for other people. Wow, that is that is deep. It really is. It's my favorite quote because it reminds me that if writing is difficult for me, and it is, it means I'm doing a good job. It means I care. It means I really, really want to communicate my message to the audience. Indeed. Yeah. So could you tell us maybe a little bit about what you were writing? I know you have a, a background Oof. in writing for others. Yeah. Now you write for yourself a bit, yeah. but, but tell us about back then. Prim so primarily I've always written for the ear as opposed to writing for the page or for the eye. And that's why I, I was so glad that you came to my class and talked about podcasting. And that's why I think I have some folk, uh, things to share with the folks that are listening. So I guess it started as a performer. I used to do magic and comedy and juggling when I was young. And, you know, you'd have to write out your routines and, and then you could work the routines in front of an audience and listen to what the audience said and get feedback. But it really nailed into me two things. It nailed into me the idea of storytelling because everything is a story. And as human beings, we're kind of wired. We love to hear stories. And you and I are both parents and you know, <laughs> sharing stories with our kids has got to be one of the most fun and cool things to do. Um, so at a really young age, I realized how important storytelling was and how important actually speaking in the active voice when you're writing a script for someone else to say is. Now, I don't know if you know about that. That's a, and again, if you in grade nine, if someone said, what's the act, active voice or what is subject, verb, object, I would have tuned out. <laughs> Didn't <laughs> care, right? But I've had to teach it. I teach at Western University. I taught in Dubai for a couple of years. I taught a, a class there for non-native English language speakers on how to write for broadcast audio. And so at that point I discovered, and that's probably where I learned that quote and all that sort of stuff. I really learned some techniques that I'll share with you um, a little bit later. But the first one, and this comes from theater, is storytelling, right? Like storytelling is in English literature, you know, the concept of the three main conflicts in a story and all that sort of stuff. But I was at the, the podcast movement conference this um, summer in Chicago and I saw Alex Bloomberg, you know, from the um, startup podcast. Yes. And he had a great thing, and I want to share it with you. He just talked about one of the key things to remember in, in, in storytelling when you're writing something is to have a sequence of actions 
leading to a climax. Now, it doesn't matter really what you're writing. This could be, it could be instructional writing for the ear. It could be sales writing. It doesn't really matter because if you can start with a story, you're going to hook your audience, right? And it's all about story, as you said, because like for thousands upon thousands of years, that's how we've communicated. That's how we know what is important to us as a society, as what we pass on to our children. But it, it really is the human voice is so powerful. So yeah. yeah. Now, and I can't again. You're the master of the, the working the tool. But so what I have tried to do over time is collect the ideas about what is a story and how to convey that with words for mm -hmm. the ear as opposed to for the eye. So here's an example that Alex Bloomberg gave. I sort of adapted it. But he says, you know, you need a sequence of actions leading to a climax. So if I say or write, this morning I left the house in a hurry. It was still dark. I jumped into my car, backed out of my driveway, and you're never going to guess what happened. You want to know what happens? Of <laughs> course you do. It's a sequence of actions, right? So let's say I say, you know, I jumped into my car, backed out of my driveway, and you'll never guess what happened. The garage, uh, the, uh, the, the garbage truck had come. Like, who cares? That's not a good mm -hmm. story, right? So you need a sequence of actions leading to a climax, but you also need to reveal something that's interesting, and that comes from playwriting and dra dramatic writing. There's always a reveal. We're sort of unwrapping the onion to find something that's, or a character's, what's the secret that the character is hiding? That's something that comes up in drama as well. So in this case, you could just change a story. You know, it was still dark. It was, sti it was still dark. I jumped into my car, backed out of my driveway, and you'll never guess what happened. There was a grizzly bear on the road. See, all of a sudden, that it's a little bit more interesting. So that that's the series of actions leading to a climax and revealing something that's interesting. And then the other thing that Alex talked about at the conference was you also need a moment of reflection after you reveal something. So that would be sort of act three in a dramatic structure. In this case, it could be something like the bear was walking along with a little cub, and it reminded me that I didn't even kiss my son goodbye when I left this morning in a hurry. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the structure of a story, right? Yeah, well, it touches the heart is what yeah. the difference between that is because you were able to relate to something that happened in experience. And for people who are writing, you know, you might not be able to convey exactly what your experience was, but you use that to create the universal experience that we can all relate to. The universal, that's Shakespearean now you're getting on me. Oh, well, I know you know a lot about Shakespeare, too. <laughs> the universal experience is exactly it. And, you know, so and that so that so that we talked earlier about the three main conflicts. And if you remember from, you know, your grade 10 literature class, you know, or English that I practically failed back then, it was man against uh, nature, man against man and man against himself. So when you're thinking about a story that's going to introduce at least hook your audience into some maybe there's some persuasive writing that's coming later on or some instructional writing that's coming later on. But if you can just think about that story at the beginning in terms of one of those things, is it man against nature? And in literature, a great example is uh, Hemingway's Old Man and the Sea. And in, in films, there's so many of those um, hurricane movies mm -hmm. or, you know. Yeah, with Tom Hanks being stranded on an stranded island with exactly. only his, uh, you know, what was what kind of ball was it he had? Volleyball. Wilson. Wilson. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Although that one might be man against himself. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Because he's alone on the island with himself. Another man against himself or female against herself, Bridget Jones, Di uh, Bridget Jones Diary. Mm -hmm. you know, she's preventing herself from succeeding. And in Shakespeare, because it started with Shakespeare, it would be Hamlet. And then the third conflict and the most obvious one that, that comes up in terms of story structure is just man against man. So, you know, in, in um, literature or playwriting, 12 Angry Men, where it's clear each of those guys is, has 
uh, a viewpoint that's in exact opposition to another person or uh, Golding's Lord of the Flies, you know, that. The, oh, the yes. Boys on the island, I think we right? all remember that book. Exactly. The mm-hmm. trauma of my English class. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it all goes back to that. But it's so important to think of when I want to communicate something, what is the story that I want to communicate? And then to think about is there a conflict in that story? Even mm-hmm. if it's getting, you know, getting out in the hurry in the morning, you know, getting getting out in the car. Oh, I didn't. I, I can't believe that my life is so crazy that I forgot mm-hmm. to, to to kiss my son goodbye. Right. You know? So, but and that kind of sounds like a longer story, maybe somewhere where you have a For lot sure. of time to tell. Yeah. But what about in something a little punchier? What about a commercial or maybe a promo or a movie trailer? I mean, well, that's, that's tight. Super, super skill. That's and I did. I, yeah, I actually wrote. I, so I worked in radio for quite a uh, quite a lot at the beginning. That's a really good question. And in in the case of radio, like a thirty second spot. It's really just knowing what your key message is that you want to get out. What is that message? And almost more important maybe is who's the audience? Mm-hmm. You know, and working as a street performer back in the day, we could make contact with the audience. And a friend of mine, Lauren Elliott, a comedian, said um, the most important thing is to listen to your audience. And the nice thing is when you're street performing or in your theater, you get to do that. You know, in radio or in broadcast, you don't get to listen to your audience. So you have to really do some work and try and figure out who is it that this message is for. And if you can nail that, that will help you get that 30-second spot and make it that much tighter. And use words that that are meaningful to that audience. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love what you said because that's exactly what we say at Voices.com too is like you have to know who your audience is because if you don't, then you're not going to communicate very effectively sure, to them. Yeah. You don't even know why they would care to hear. And, and then you won't even know what kind of casting decision to make. Because if you don't know who the audience is, what they're receptive to, uh, just kind of that demographic you might be playing to, and even like localizing a script, for goodness sake. Like all mm-hmm. these, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, a, a phrase like, oh, a piece of cake could mean absolutely nothing to someone in oh, another country. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, so. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so as a writer, then, how would you go about learning who the audience was? Was this a collaborative process between you and other people who had the vision for for maybe what that spot was going to well, be? Yeah. It, it, so, I'll take it to a, another example. When I when I came to London, I had to write all the promos. I said we need one of the biggest ways we need to introduce the news product to people is to have thirty second promos. So we needed to figure out who that audience was. We did research. Like we spend a lot of money, not everyone can do this obviously, but we spend a lot of money to do phone calls and research to figure out who this audience is that we, we have. And Stephanie, one of the funny things we learned, when I first got there, everyone, uh, there was a ton of golf content on the show. People were talking about golf scores, golf tournaments. And when we did the research, we found out that in this region, Golf really doesn't resonate with a lot of people. It, people in the newsroom loved it, so we talked about golf a lot. But in our survey, what we learned was water sports were one of the biggest activities in the summer. Well, because we have a lake on top of us and a lake below us. So believe me, we changed the content. You know, mm-hmm. Golf was no longer the predominant summer sport. It became water sports. So as much as we can, we would talk about the weather conditions. We would talk about the water. We showed pictures of people in boats. And it ultimately, that made a difference. And as you said, speaking to the local audience. No, absolutely. So you have to know who the audience is and sometimes you have to adapt to them as you pointed out. Maybe you have to learn their language. You got to do that. And in that way, then you might actually have to bring in people who can help you to do that, to shape the message a bit more. Absolutely. And and, and, or another time I, I showed up in Winnipeg, I worked on a national radio program and it was sort of an afternoon. It was the public radio uh, it was the most popular public radio program in Canada in the afternoon. It was sort of comedy. We would take the news and play with it and have fun. And I remember I wrote a, a piece of uh, script for the host, and 
I made a reference to Grey Poupon. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, so it's you, mustard. It's mustard, right? Yeah. So I a used, classy mustard. A classy yes. mustard. <laughs> I was trying to, because I was talking about Lou Dobbs, a classy financial and an analysis from CNN, analyst from CNN. And uh, and so they had to pull me aside it was, and they go, uh, the host of the show doesn't even know what Grey Poupon is. Mm. <laughs> so he would just never say that. Right, so, yeah. So I had to change it to French's. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, again, like you have to know even who you're writing for, right? Like it's Absolutely. not just the audience. No, but no, exactly. The voice said, of yeah. the character that you're mm -hmm. writing for. And what is that? What is so in a commercial that could be the voice of that mother that is selling the product to the audience. So you have to understand the audience, but the authentic voice of the person speaking. And, and you know, so I went back then and I just listened to a lot of that radio program to find out, okay, what is this main character's voice? How do I get my head into that person's voice. So I learned as much as I could about him personally, about about what he thought was funny, what he thought was fun, and then just listen to old radio episodes to try and find out, okay, I'm not going to say great Poupon again. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, because it wasn't something he would have authentically said, absolutely, right? Absolutely. So, because as you said, you've been writing for other people, and no for doubt sure. there's somebody listening who has the job of either, you know, ghostwriting for the CEO, or, or maybe there's someone who is kind of uh, preparing statements. Maybe they write script or, or a, you know, a speech for mm -hmm. some public event or whatnot. So, for that person who's listening, like, they may be in close proximity to the person. They might be able to study them a bit more. What sort of things should they be looking for to get inside that that's, person's head? That's fascinating. Now, I almost do that um, instinctively, and I take it for granted. And I think part of the reason I do that is because I'm a first-generation Canadian. So my mother is uh, Dutch. My father is Czech. So it's a miracle I can speak English, really. Cause I was brought, <laughs> and I was brought up in Quebec where everyone speaks French. Wow. So I had all these different languages around me. So I'm what I would call an active listener. So when I'm around that CEO, or once I realized I wasn't listening to that radio host, uh, the way he spoke effectively enough, I became an active listener. So there's a, a technique called active listening where you're actually really specifically paying attention to not only the words that they're using and the words that they're not using, but also the cadences and the rhythms of their voices. Are they speaking in short sentences, long sentences? Are they using metaphors a lot or just speaking in simple, simple terms without metaphors and without similes? And it's sort of important to make make note of the people that you're going to be speaking or writing for and and then when you have a chance start just taking notes like carry a notepad with you and write words down that you know and you know radio hosts I mean I've written for a lot of different radio hosts and they all have different different styles so I and I guess I just sort of gravitated towards it naturally growing up in a environment where there were different languages and I was always forced to listen you know mm -hmm. so active listening is super super important well listening is a skill that I think everyone needs to have regardless oh gosh, uh, yeah. especially like performers they need to be good listeners too but but if you're actually writing in the voice of someone else and that is a huge responsibility yeah you want to make sure that you're representing them well that it's something that they would say or you would leave out things that they would not and again the pacing the tempo um, the tone of voice the inflections the kind mm -hmm. of the way that you might phrase something I'm just thinking about how in our industry we also have kind of a voice match or a sound alike mm -hmm. you know you could sound like a celebrity and and perhaps uh you know the scripts are written in that way mm -hmm. so that you get the feel oftentimes people are saying you know i i would like someone who sounds like sure you know james earl jones george clooney whoever course, it might yeah. be but what they really mean is the script <laughs> yeah well it's the cadence the way that they're speaking they want someone who speaks in the manner of right, so and so right. but they and to sound like them too but for it not really to be that person but just to present something as if you know like to get that, that the i guess the, the real estate you know in people's minds is already there for that voice right 
they already trust them they already think oh well i would buy this car from you know Kiefer sutherland sure. for instance or i would do whatever it, it's kind That's of like you know like it's kind of because people will debate this you know all day long is you know do people actually find celebrity voiceover effective is it because you've paid the big bucks to get someone, uh, you oh, know, yeah, and yeah. kind of, oh, sure. the, the great it's stuff like that buying, goes along with that? It's like buying a boss suit. You know, well, it says Donald Sutherland, so I guess it's going to work just because it's Donald Sutherland. And he's got a great voice, too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's because that's one of the ones that comes to mind. Yeah, of course. And But, you know, is it is it is the it, prestige around that voice or is it the, uh, I guess, the way that that voice has influenced them in the past that kind of controls it? Like, it's subtle. Sometimes they'll never know who the celebrity was because it won't be publicized. Of course. But it's like, oh, well, I had no idea that so-and-so did this commercial. But I somewhere in my mind, I recognize this voice. Mm-hmm. It has some uh, currency to yeah, it, yeah, I'll say. So I wonder if uh, maybe even in writing style, if there's a way of doing that that makes you feel... Uh, that you're, what you're hearing really has a lot of weight to it. So there's, so there's two things there. So there's the voice itself. And I, I know, I mean, the research shows, and I've had arguments with friends who were in the film and video business, but um, the research tends to show that it, the voice uh, listening is more powerful than seeing. Everyone, you know, this mm. is a society of pictures and videos, but ultimately the voice is the primal, the primal sense. When you're in your mother's womb, you can hear voices. It's the first. It's the first of the senses to be developed, and people say it is the most primal. So therefore, it is the most important in making that connection. So having an authoritative voice, no question about it. Um, so a guy like Donald Sutherland, do we recognize? Oh, that was Donald Sutherland. Probably not, you know, but his voice is so. Um, well, there's all kinds of adjectives you can use to describe it, right? Powerful, calming, authoritative, confident. So that's worth the dough. Now, if you don't, if you can't, in your example, you can't afford Donald Sutherland, but you want that sort of, um, that feeling, it becomes a style. So even if you have someone who can represent Donald's voice, the writing style, because trust me, I mean, a dear friend worked quite closely with Donald Sutherland and, and wined and dined at him several times. Donald's going to tell you if he doesn't like your script. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if he doesn't like that and it doesn't fit his natural cadences, mm-hmm. he's going to correct it right there and then. Yeah. Well, they're the expert they on are. themselves. That's right. right? If That's you're writing right. something for them, and this is important for anyone who's writing for you know a high-profile figure yeah. of any kind, that they're going to have a certain way of presenting themselves and yeah. saying things. And I can't remember quite uh, which actor it was, but I've heard a story of an actor who was in his senior years, very, very good actor. But, you know, someone and said oh this is how the scene plays out and he took one look at it and he's like I'm not doing that and then he's like and then he just went up there and he did whatever it was that he felt comfortable doing and it was a hundred times better than what was written right so for the writer so it's a two-step phase so you can hire that voice or that sound-alike voice but then you need the writer that's going to be able to go okay well what does Nathan Lane sound like I've got to go watch Ratatouille I've mm-hmm. got to go see if I can find some of you know the Broadway the, the producers on Broadway you need to tune into the rhythms the, the thing we talked about earlier the rhythms the cadences and the style of that person's voice so it's really so in terms of writing that's the act of listening that I talked about earlier it's so important to say okay how, what is the way this person communicates wow so what would be a good example of writing for someone else do you can you think of one offhand um, well, I mean, personally for me, it was when I showed up, I mean, I've written twice. I've walked into existing radio programs that had huge audiences and had to just kind of slide in and, 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 and write in that person's voice. Uh, and in both cases, it was really just becoming familiar li- as much as I can listening to the, to the voice 
listening to the person's uh, cadences and rhythms and speech patterns from the past and then starting to write. And then one of the key things is to read your writing out loud and then vet everything. So we would write before we even got near the host or the, the celebrity voice. We'd write it. We'd sit in a room, just the writers, go over it, saying it out loud. Oh, Jack would never say that. That doesn't sound like Jack. Rewrite it, then present it to Jack in a rough area where he's not, you know, it's not going to tape. He would read it and go, oh, my God, that's horrible. So there's a lot of steps before it would become high-quality material, for sure. Don't take that for granted, ever. Oh, I love what you said there about it being a lot of steps. That's a lot of steps. that was something I wanted to ask you about. Okay. So when you are actually in that creative process, clearly there are a lot of people involved probably mm-hmm. in this, and every decision is made painstakingly. You've been through some kind of an exercise <laughs> yes. on why this yeah. is the right thing. Maybe a focus group, maybe, I don't know. But when it comes to that final piece of copy, it's the script, it's done, um, it's beautiful, it's sitting mm-hmm. there, you've all mm-hmm. agreed on it. Mm-hmm. How important is it to you that that script is read verbatim? Uh, not at all. No. No. Really? Because, no. That's the, because if I've hired Nathan Lane, like I, I, assumingly, assumingly Nathan Lane is going to be involved. One, you know, he's not just going to show up and read. He's there's going to be a bit of time for him mm. to go over it. So as a director, and I've been a performer and I've directed voices as well. As a director, I'm going to be completely open to what he wants to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Now, that's I'm not representing the agency. I'm, that's all that if the agency's like, well, wait a sec, he has to say front-wheel drive, and Nathan's like, well, I just wouldn't say front-wheel drive. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to have to work that out because mm-hmm. um, you're buying Nathan. You know? right. You've got Donald Sutherland there for a reason, so you might want to listen to him. It's mm-hmm. tough. It's a really tough question. Well, it's a balancing act because when you have someone like a Nathan Lane or a Donald Sutherland or um, maybe, I don't know, Kiefer Sutherland, Kiefer Sutherland yeah. any of these wonderful actors, I mean, they're at a certain level. Mm-hmm. They're at a level where they can say, I will not do this. Yeah. You know, like William Shatner, he obviously has a way of working <laughs> with directors too. And, um, you know, some of the, the actors will say, no, no, I know best. Please just let me do what I do and you can listen. There's that. And that's wonderful. And maybe some celebrities are a little easier to work with. Sure. Um, but then you've got your workaday actor. And right. the workaday right. actor has right. no cred outside of maybe, you know, their own career. Within the community. Absolutely. Within the community, yeah. they may. But it's not as if they can necessarily have the same um, creative power or sway as someone else who has that inherently yeah. because of, yeah. of their celebrity. Yeah. So And, um, and, and their and the results. I mean, those those high the high profile people have got results. The workaday yeah. actor might be getting results, but they might not be as quantifiable as, as the, as the um, but hey, the work of the actor might even be getting more results of the right. voice work, but it might not be quantifiable. So right. they might need to be a little bit more deferential and not be that, you know, celebrity diva, which all those celebrities can be and at times are. The work a day really has to go, hey, I'm part of the community, uh, you know, and just sort of work a little slower to get to the, to the point of right. maybe not saying front wheel drive. whatever yeah well they well and that's just it like someone else who might have that authority or you know ability to say i won't say that they can say that and maybe something can be worked around them because they're just worth working around but of course but for somebody else um who might be in there maybe it's just a a, an actor called in the studio Mm -hmm. or a voice talent and and they're recording how much leniency is it for them to go off script or right. to be creative? Yeah, and, and again, it depends on their training and their background. You know, if 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 it's if I'm working with a Second City improviser and I'm looking for a script that's got attitude and comedy, uh, I'm going to hear them out for sure and get them to do it their way, and then get them to do it my way. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe get let them do it their way first. I'm speaking as a performer here now. Sure. 
okay, I've got it done. I've tried it. And then, okay, let's do it my way. You know? And then you get a safety. Obviously, <laughs> it's like the first take usually always is the Come right on. one. Yeah, but yeah. as we know sometimes. So have you had so experience funny. being in studio directing oh, people? Oh, yeah, maybe yeah, maybe yeah. just share some of, of those experiences as someone who's wanting to make sure that that message that has been written and you know scripted in such a way actually comes across the way the, with a the vision that you had intended. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, as I said earlier, the writing process, by the time it would get on the page in this in the uh, in the recording studio, we'd developed so much. You know, there's been a process, you know, with the writing process by ourselves and the vetting process with another writer and then a vetting process with the reader. And then in the studio, sometimes things change. So, yeah, you've got a lot invested and you really want to see it succeed. And we're all there for the same reason, but of course. Um, so in my case, I tend to be a little bit more lenient and I would let people play. If I had the mm -hmm. time in the studio, I would let people play, no doubt. But at the end of the day, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm paying the, the fare. So yeah. we, we've got to get from point A to point B. So yeah, it's, uh, wow. I don't know, am I answering? I seem like, I feel oh, like I'm definitely. dancing around your question. Oh no, no, you're, you're hitting on it. Um, but like if an actor isn't getting it, like they're just not quite, you know, wow. they, they, yeah, yeah. they're not, yeah. not that they don't understand yeah. it, but they just don't sure, see the yeah. vision. Yeah. How can you give that to them so that they can sure it. okay well that's so a couple of things that's tough so one of the things that i would do is take away the script and then if again if i'm in a situation where i have time and it's a face-to-face -face as opposed to a, a virtual uh, kind of a recording session if it's face-to-face -face, i would take away the script and just sort of almost stop the session if i can and and just get physically get up, move around a little bit, talk about something, and then sit down again, and then try it without the script actually, mm -hmm. and just see what that actor has to give. It could be, and a lot of times, the reason the performance isn't there is because the script is not there. Mm -hmm. Do you know? I mean, that's always I I would tend to defer to the script being a problem first, and how can we figure out what the stumbling block is on the script, and then and then and then so that's what I said. Take away the script, and then maybe start to make notes to see if we again, assuming the agency is okay with yeah. the change or whoever you know. Right, because yeah. there's a process. There's yeah, a bunch exactly. of people involved. Yeah. You want to respect everybody, not step mm -hmm. on their toes. Mm -hmm. So revisions. Yeah, revision, guess, yeah. Like how frequent might those be for someone who's writing a spot? Uh, again. It, Ideally, the revisions happen before you get to the studio because that's when the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, you know, the clock is running and this costs it costs money. And it, so ideally, the revisions happen before you get to the studio. But I'm, I'm the kind of director or I was the kind of director. I'm not doing it as much as I used to who always wants to play. I want to have room for play because if there's if, if you're not having fun, that's going to be reflected in the, in the final product, you know, and it's a creative process and it's a collaborative process and we're creating something from nothing. So I think that's so, so important to to. to to create an environment, you know, both the director and the performer, to where there's going to be a respect for each other's needs and, and room to play and bounce off each other. Mm -hmm. And I, I like how the play comes through, and I know mm. it's because you have a theatrical background. That's it. And improvisation, yeah. Yeah, and improv, which is amazing. Yeah. Very good. Good skill to have in any, <laughs> anything you might need to do, because you never know that tech is, might not work. The true. PowerPoint blows up. The You know, true. you're stuck at a, a conference, and you have nothing to present from. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh. Here but, we go. Exactly. But, but the ability to play, I think that is important, because as you said, we're all here. You know, everyone who's listening to this agrees that if you want to get something done in a really wonderful way that shows the essence of what was meant to happen, mm -hmm. then it needs to come from a certain place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I heard you say about playing, 
the theater background immediately came to mind. Mm -hmm. And because you have that sensitivity as someone who writes but can also direct, then I think that that would feed the actor. Uh, Exactly, Mm -hmm. exactly, yeah. And and unfortunately, a lot of times the voice is the last one in and they're just there to serve the function, right? So as a director, you've got to really bring them in and into as much as you can into the process. And as a voice, you've got to respect the fact that there's thousands of dollars here and God knows how many weeks of time writing all this stuff. So we've got to figure out a way to make it work. You, you've mentioned about the writing for the ear. Yeah. Can you go into how you do that? So there's a lot of research that shows that uh, people tend to absorb um, audio, so again, writing for the ear, if it's written in the active voice. And again, so the active voice, what is the active voice? It really is the difference um, between the placement of the subject verb and the object. So when I was teaching writing for broadcast in the Middle East, I came up with this example. I'd actually get in front of the class, get a student to, to take their keys and throw their keys from their hand to the floor. And then I'd say, well, what did we just see? And someone would say, uh, Susan threw the keys. Mm-hmm. Susan threw the keys. So that's an active, that's an active voice, subject, verb, object, Susan threw the keys. But so much of our academic writing when we're learning how to write, especially in English or any kind of writing, it would be passive. They take it right out of you, the active voice, and they take the first person voice right out of you. So often the, the, the people would defer to the keys were thrown by Susan. Oh. Yeah, which you'd see that in an essay. You know, you'd see that in a newspaper article. But in terms of uh, audio and writing for the ear, terrible. So as much as you can, try to always write in Keith's. Just think of who's doing the action. You know, Susan threw the keys or Keith threw the keys, that sort of thing. Um, the entrance, the, I'll give you another example here. The entrance exam was failed by over one-third of the applicants to the school is okay. The entrance exam was failed by over one-third of the applicants to the school. But this is better. Over one-third of the applicants to the school failed the entrance exam. So it's active. And when you're using that active uh, verb, like failed, as opposed to was failed, it paints a picture in the head, right? And that's what it's all about in audio. It's theater of the mind. Exactly. Uh, There's nothing wrong with writing the keys were thrown by Susan. That's okay, but it's just weak. In most cases, you're better off with an action verb. So you could say the president is back in the White House, or or if you're writing for the CEO is back in the CEO suite, whatever. But the president has returned to the White House, just that Switching from is to returned paints a picture, tells a bit more of a story. Or the president has arrived back at the White House is better than the president is back at the White House. It just mm-hmm. sounds so passive. So as much as you can, find active verbs and, and create something. Don't use the verb to be, is, was, all that sort of stuff. It just lacks energy. doesn't pop, doesn't get the story moving. Yeah, I took a course in linguistics at oh, one point. Yeah, yeah, at Western. And you just had to learn how sentences were constructed, right? Exactly. And, and how that influences or impacts um, how they're heard. For sure. And use use possessive words like his, her, or their to tie the sentences together. For example, you don't want to talk about the car. Make it her car or his car. You know, it just has, again, more value and it's easier to paint a better picture when you say it's her car instead of the car. So you have to write not only so that you're understood, but you have to write so that you're not misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And there's also connection there because you said you could say the car. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's any random car that could be other, but it's her Her car. car. It belongs to her. There is some kind of relationship, some connection to that. Yeah, absolutely. Any any kind of really super being super specific. And sometimes people are afraid of being uh, over specific or, or too specific. I'll give you one more uh, vague, a vague word, a word like involved. You could say you know, someone was involved in something, but what was he actually doing? Again, it's not painting a picture. So the chairman of the board was involved in a crime. I don't know if she was the person who committed the crime 
or if she was a victim. You know, so be super, super clear as much as you can and avoid hollow words. This is all, sorry, I said one. I'll leave you this one. These are words like incident, activity, condition, situation, period, controversy. Those are kind of evocative words, but I mean, you could string a sentence together with those words. There was an incident downtown. There was lots of activity that changed the condition of the, sit of the street. The situation is grave and the period, you know, and, but it doesn't tell me anything. All those are all hollow, hollow words. So try to find words that actually paint pictures in the listener's imagination. And those words should also mean something to those listeners. Uh, of course, yeah. Try and find, again, that's all about knowing your audience and, and trying to speak to them specifically, yeah. We certainly learned a lot about how to write for our audience and to know who they are and, and also just how to get in the head of, of the speaker, mm -hmm. of, of the person who is actually delivering the message. So mm -hmm. I, I think this is great. We should have you back again sometime right. soon. <laughs> okay, I'd love to. Well, I've been, I, hey, when I taught this in the Middle East, I really had to nail it so I get these kids up. And I was really proud of the fact that they got nominated for a Reuters Student Journalism Award. Oh, my goodness. Like, took a bunch of people who English wasn't even their first language, and uh, we just had so much fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I love it. I love, I love communicating and telling stories. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Keith. Thank you, Stephanie. This has been fun. Thank you for tuning in. And if you haven't already done so, I'd like to invite you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, as well as give us a rating. We love hearing from you and gathering your feedback. Once again, I'm your host, Stephanie Cicerelli, and I hope you can join us for our next Sound Stories podcast.